Michael McGlynn, I come to you from Kansas City, and I don't come to you tonight as a ministerial priest. I come to you as a husband, a father, uh, not as a theologian or even an entertainer. But what I have to share with you tonight not only will dramatically change the arc of your life, will actually save your life. The people know me as a filmmaker and I refer to myself as a storyteller. Do you know what makes a great story? I thought after having produced many films, won some awards, I knew. But three years ago, that all changed. It was then that I discovered a story I could not believe was not being told. It had all the compelling elements you look for, an unsuspecting hero, and internal conflicts and struggles, an insidious enemy full of deception, a trustworthy and generous guide, and one glorious mission critical to the future of others. I know it sounds like a movie, but it wasn't. And the closer that I drew, the more it challenged much of what I thought was important. And that's when my eyes opened. Now, can you imagine for a moment, at the end of your life, you realized that you missed the point and that what you thought was really important was not. As you say over and over again, I had no idea. I just had no idea. As you see all that could have been and was rightfully yours fade away, never to return. That was the question I couldn't stop thinking about. What if I had never been told and how could I now remain silent? So in early 2020, I began documenting what was at the heart of not just one, but an entire community of people who were experiencing 
the opposite of the worry, confusion, and doubt, so familiar to many of us. A reality that weighs us down, affects our choices, damages our relationships and families, drains us of the dreams, came so easily when we were children, shackling us in fear so that we never attained the joy we and our loved ones were made for. And that's when I knew I needed to do everything I could to tell this story while there is still time. Do you know what makes a great story? It is the one that our blessed Savior wants to write for you. But if you don't know him, you won't trust him. And it will be very hard for you to discover his goodness. So you will not have the confidence in the one that made you, gave you life and a future without end. So how do we let him in? How do we come to know him, to trust him, to trust in his love for us, to trust in his goodness? He who became obedient to the point of death, he redeemed our pride. God wills it, God will do it. You've heard that we are broken. This is true. But there's another part of the narrative, one that doesn't get discussed in our day very often. We are also children of the King, sons and daughters. We have been created and made anew in baptism to live in all manner of virtue. And that Christ, for he is virtue. I'd like to share with you an important quote it's by St. Peter Julian Imard. He died in 1868, just within the shadow of our own times. He says, Eucharistic adorers share Mary's life and mission of prayer at the foot of the most blessed sacrament, the foot of the cross. It is the most beautiful of all missions and it is without danger, without error. It is also the most sacred, for it is the exercise of all the virtues it is the most necessary for the church, which has much more need of souls of prayer than of preachers, of men and women of penance than of eloquence. Today more than ever, we want men and women who disarm by self-denial the anger of God against the ever-increasing crimes of nations. We must have souls who by their persistence reopen the treasures of grace which general indifference has closed. When we must have true adorers, that is to say, men and women of fervor and of sacrifice, when they have become numerous around their divine chief, God will be glorified, Jesus will be loved, and society will be Christian, conquered for Jesus Christ by the apostolate of Eucharistic prayer. My friends, this great story of adoration is also a great secret today. And until 2017, I must admit, I didn't really fully realize or sense the power of Eucharistic adoration daily. I'd been an adorer since 1998 periodically throughout the week, primarily once a week. And I thought that I was good. I thought that was good. Eucharistic adoration. Before we continue, I want to clarify something, though, for you. The Holy Mass is the greatest prayer in the church. But first, we adore before receiving. Adoration denotes the proper disposition before receiving our Lord. It also denotes the order in growing in union with him. But tonight, I'd like to offer you a brief history of Eucharistic adoration. I'd like to share with you some thoughts on why we go and some thoughts on what we do. 
But before we begin, I love definitions. So let's make sure we're on the same page. Adoration, love and respect for someone deeply, veneration. In 379, St. Basil would divide the Eucharist into three parts. One, he would consume. One, he would give to his monks. And the third, he would reserve and put in the luna, place in the monstrance, affirming that Christ is present. And this started a Eucharistic revival throughout Europe. In 1264, Pope Urban instituted the Feast of Corpus Christi. And then the 16th and 17th century, we have the Council of Trent, which emphasized the real presence. Now this is right as the Protestant Reformation is taking place and something called the printing press. And this was problematic because there were a lot of pamphlets out there spreading error at this time. It was also during this time that a whole crop of incredibly fiery and scary preachers came onto the scene. One of these was St. Leonard of Port Maurice. You might have heard of him. I remember about a year and a half ago in doing pre-production work for a documentary that we're just starting on now, I came across this saint. I couldn't believe that after 50 years of a Catholic, I had really never heard nor remember the type of preaching that he was referring to. We see it most evidently in Luke 13, 23, when Jesus is asked, how many will be saved? And he says, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many will try, but they will not have the strength. Now, whose strength is he referring to, though? It is a Eucharistic strength. And even more deeply than that, all of the problems of our age, the entirety of humanity, can be solved with the Eucharist. It points us to the resolution, and it certainly involves our salvation. It is our Lord's strength, and that is the good news. And he says to us, a contrite and humble spirit I will not spurn. Furthermore, he says, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But the perfection that our Lord desires out of our lives is the bread that come down from heaven. The bread that come down from heaven, not came, but come down as it says in the Gospels. It's recognizing him truly present and then receiving in a manner worthy so that we can receive the full outpouring of grace. You see, the St. Leonard of Port Maurice's of his day would speak of the few that were saved to wake souls up. That's the lower tier of love of God. The middle tier becomes one of duty, but the third tier becomes one of sweetness. This is what Eucharistic adoration begins to purchase for the soul, a sweetness. As St. Peter Julian Imard says, such a sweet, efficacious means of falling in love, but not just with our Savior, for that is sufficient, but we begin to fall more deeply in love with those whose care has been entrusted to us. Now, I know this factually because I've been doing it for over five years as a lay guy married with teenagers running a business and all the complexities of life. But I also have a special vantage point. I've been doing Catholic films now for over 10 years. I've been all over the country and outside the country. I've had the opportunity to interview so many people. And I'll tell you, my general sense is that many know our Lord, but few have truly met him. And it's not a matter of our heroics. It's a matter of our humility, I believe because it requires humility to go sit before what looks to us as a flat piece of bread in a gold container for anywhere from five minutes to an hour. For the world judges this as something not really producing anything. It's not active. 
It's often not even emotional. So how do you measure it? You measure it in the lives of the saints, most of whom had two things in common, a deep love for our Lord in his Eucharistic presence and Our Lady. 1590, Naples, Italy. Perpetual adoration begins. And let's not forget St. Charles Borromeo, who raised the tabernacle to a physically higher place in the church to emphasize primacy and again to promote Eucharistic adoration. Now, why do we go? Well, because Our Lady and St. Joseph adored. Some refer to Mary as the first tabernacle. Look at the kings, the shepherds, all on the night of nativity. Even the creatures adored. We're wired to adore. We give to God what is owed to him, which is our presence. The tradition of the Catholic faith our church highlights four prayers that are contained in the Mass. The prayer of adoration and blessing, the prayer of contrition and repentance, the prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude, and the prayer of supplication, petition, and intercession. But adoration is really the preeminent focus. Remember how we're supposed to prepare to go to Mass? Have you heard that before? Perhaps it's arriving five minutes before the Mass. I would say, actually, and our church says really, truly, that preparation begins long before we arrive at Mass. And who's responsible for that preparation? You see, this is where we, I believe, in America begin to kind of get it wrong. We have sometimes a false sense of self-reliance, what I'm doing, what I'm capable of doing. The challenge in that, though, is that it's actually false. And it sets us up to turn to self when we fall. For when we go before our Lord frequently, or when we're able, souls who adore begin to realize it's not what we've done, it's not what we're doing, and it's not what we're going to do, whether it's all manner of virtue or sin. And stay with me on that latter fact. It's more about in recognizing what he did, what he's doing now, and what he promises to do for us. For the two most important moments for us Catholics are when we receive our next Eucharist and when we take our final breath. Our Lord wants to be the one to prepare us for both. He wants to reassure us and fill us with what we need. For some of the dominant fruits and effects of Eucharistic adoration are just simply greater clarity. Many of the people that I've interviewed, and I can test to this myself, one of those first fruits, you begin to see the beams in your own eye. For how can a blind person see what they're blind to? He begins to give us greater clarity, greater contrition, because our love is beginning to grow for him. Why? Because we're actually sacrificing our time and the things that we could be doing in exchange to go sit with the king of the universe. And our Lord rewards us greatly, for he knows that although it's harder to go visit a pope, a CEO, a celebrity, or a great athlete, how easy it is for us to walk inside a church or a chapel and adore the king of the universe, who is available for us 24-7, 365, always available. He delights in us coming. Just ask those who adore frequently. Why do they keep coming back? Is it out of a rote prayer and routine? Is it out of scrupulosity? Is it out of some fear that if they miss a day? Well, perhaps, perhaps those items are there. But remember, when you and I go out into the sun, we don't have to have knowledge of the sun, and yet it tans our face, our body. It's the same with the Lord, for he burns the dross off of our heart, and he lifts the scales from our eyes in a timely fashion. Great doctors know how to heal a patient 
they go to a particular malady and they work forward. It's no different with our Lord. He is the divine doctor. He knows what we need. And so he immediately begins to work on our hearts. And so adoration then denotes our desire and our intent and our action to be disposed to Jesus as he himself is disposed perfectly to the Father. And this is so important because this also teaches us in turn how to be disposed to each other. For love of God and love of neighbor begins quite honestly in our homes, which are often the most difficult and monumental moments to exercise love and mercy. But the Holy Family shows us this as a model. He came to serve. He was obedient to the point of death. And for the moments in our lives, we fail in these areas as husbands and fathers and teachers and coaches and ministers. We have this beautiful sacrament of repentance where we're restored by him because he wants to see us rise and succeed again to do so with his strength, to do his will, because after all, it is his church. Throughout this entire process, we begin to become more confident in his goodness. As he said to St. Faustina, tell the whole world about my goodness, and thus you will comfort my heart. For those of you who are parents, could you imagine if your ch children, after all of the proofs of your love, would not trust that you're good for them, that you have their back, that you're really, really, truly focused and caring for them? How that would grieve your heart. When we go to adoration, we have an opportunity not only to make reparation for our own sins and to make atonement for the sins of others, we go and console our Lord. Even if we don't feel anything, we go in our presence alone is itself a substantial act of faith. So think about the power we have as parents and grandparents for our children. I hear when I go out, many parents come up and talk about their children that have lost and lost, lost the faith, have left the faith and this deep wound of what to do next. You know, these are complex questions and often we're not going to get a simple answer because I believe what our Lord is asking of us is the fact that if we're concerned about such an item with our children, part of the victory has already begun because God has reached us. He's made us sensitive to the reality of salvation. And now he's asking more of us to carry the cross. For this Lord was not only misunderstood, so was his mother, for she knew the sorrows. She knew the sorrows of him, who after all the proofs of his love, would still have those that would reject him. But the power of a parent's prayer, legalistically, not in terms of the state, but I mean the interior piece, is so incredibly important, even if our children are adults. And so this is where we can go before our Lord as often as possible. You know, our Lord, to a couple of saints and visionaries, has said that the hour that he grants great graces of conversion actually is in the most despised hour, the 3 a.m. hour, the darkest hour. In 2008 to 2012, in Juarez, Mexico, it was known as the dangerous city in the world, the most dangerous city. Within a span of five years, the murder rate dropped from 3,766 to only 256. Jorge Gonzalez Nicolas, a prosecutor from Juarez, Mexico, said this, there's no place in the world that has managed to turn itself around so quickly. When a parish adores God day and night, 
the city is transformed. Those latter words are from Father Heilman, who along with several other priests began to set up Eucharistic adoration throughout the city. The overflow from the church militant in that city had a galvanizing and subduing effect on the city to the point that the murder rate dropped to 256, to almost, from almost 4,000, just in five years. But let's take a story of a 10-year-old, true story, who was asked by her mother, you know, your father takes you to adoration and you like to go, why? She says, I love adoration. It's so peaceful just being with Jesus. This truly is the master key to understanding our Lord's desire. And to gain ingrained insight for the life that we have been given with all the complexities. Now, to your right and to your left tonight, there are people that you wish were here that are not here. You desire that they would grow in God. Some might even seem lost or far from God. This tears at your heart because you love them. The goodness is so great from God that there should be hope, but he needs our help. This is an incredibly efficacious prayer. It's not topped by the mass, but it's not liturgical. And it is a time where we can begin to give to our Lord in an intimate way, exactly what he asked of St. Faustina and that is to give me your soul property. That is all that weighs you down, and even your despair. Again, to take this step is a step of humility, of heart. To recognize our utter absolute weakness, our inability to do anything virtuous except turn away from our Lord. But with him, all things are possible. And if God has inspired it in your heart, God wills it. And in faith, God will do it. This is the trust and confidence that quite honestly moves heaven. And it's what our Lord actually asks of us. This is actually not really heroic. This is becoming of a son and daughter, confident in their savior, their king a radical dependence upon his goodness, his trust and mercy. You know, St. Faustina in her diary on one occasion actually asked our Lord, it was in 1937, I believe it was in January, that all the souls this day would not perish. Every soul that died in the world, and on average that's anywhere from 30 to 35,000 souls a day die. And our Lord granted this to her. He said, my daughter, you have come to know well my goodness. And he continued to encourage her to pray the chaplet of divine mercy. What is our Lord saying to us in all these stories? Well, it's really what I've come to understand personally, and it's what I've seen in the many people that I've had the privilege to interview. We're being given an opportunity to not just adore, but to lay down our weary hearts and to rest. Your face drew me to your presence. Thank you. 
privilege of doing a parish mission for a good friend of mine, Father uh, Leonard Gittrew, and the night before, is at 10 o'clock at night, and I always like write a lot of melodies in my music, and words take me forever, you know, our daughters always ask you, Dad, you know, when are you going to get this song done? I'm like, it's just a grind, it's going to take months, you know, it's just not easy. I remember being in the first grade, I don't know if you have you know, the same type of thing, but I remember uh, the English teacher coming up to me and going, McGlynn, what's the problem? Creative assignment. You've been staring at your page for 30 minutes, and I just had so much going through my mind, so little coming out of the end of my pen, you know? And, uh, but this particular evening, though, I really wanted to play this song. I had this melody that I'd written, Adore and Rest, and really no words, but knew that it was about adoration and rest. And I just kind of had this nudge or word from the Lord that was like, well, then write the words. And I remember just turning to a statue I've got in my studio of the Sacred Heart. And I said, you know my problem. Like, you know this is not going to happen. So if I do this, I really need you to help me because I'm exhausted. And I said, I've got to go do this tomorrow morning. So about an hour and a half later, I wrote the song. And I would love to say that I'm always that prolific and, and all those things, but it was really beautiful. And, and I think that from my own experience that it's, that it's that childlike docility that seems to come and percolate from communing with the Lord. Yes, yes, he, he is one that we should go down in adoration for. Um, and, and to adore his mightiness as the king of the universe. Frightening is his power and his prominence. But he wants to be approached. And you know, it's interesting in the Gospels, no one ever came near the presence of the Lord that did not leave changed in one way, even those he was admonishing. For the truth hit their hearts. You know, in the story of Martha and Mary, we know that Jesus says that she chose the better. She sits at the feet of our Lord. And again, by today's standards, and even perhaps by some in the church, maybe was wasting time. There's all these people to feed. There's all these projects to do. I remember a Chinese bishop in the 80s was imprisoned and when he was finally released he told a story about his little diocese was flourishing and he was imprisoned I think for 11 years and this gave him a lot of angst and one day the Lord gave him a word and said look you're called to serve me not my works brought him right back Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, receiving what is rightfully hers. And Jesus says it shall not be taken from her. 
And in the next moment, we have to go serve like Martha. We have to labor. But again, what is the preeminent posture of that story? As a storyteller, I'm always looking for what's the dramatic focus. Well, clearly, the dramatic focus of the Martha and Mary and Jesus account is to listen, to listen. The transfiguration. Have you been to the Holy Land? Any of you been to the Holy Land? A couple of you I know have been. <laughs> if you recall the crazy drive up Mount Tabor, uh, that alone is enough to uh, weary the soul. What's the dramatic focus of the transfiguration? Is it the cloud that fell down? Is it Moses and Elijah? Is it Peter, James, and John going down in adoration of the Lord? Is it our Lord's transfigurement indicating the future glory that he wants to give us? I think it's something simple. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Here we hear it again. Listen to him. Listen to him. You know, when we become more attuned to listening to the Lord in silence, it has an immediate impact on how we listen to the people in our lives. And I don't mean a listening with the ears. I mean the Lord is working through you, always. And you begin to recognize it more and more. You know, in Acts chapter 9, the apostles asked for the gift of boldness. Solomon asked for wisdom, but they asked for boldness. Boldness is a great fruit of adoration. For once we hear the word, we then have to step out of sometimes cowardice and do what it is he's asking of us. I remember years ago, cleaning the kitchen, thinking this was something heroic. <laughs> My wife comes into the kitchen and I was so proud of all that I had done. And then our daughter comes in with a little drawing from the day. And she was, I think, in sixth grade. She's a good artist. And she was excited to show it to me. And I said, oh, that's great. And I'm tall, obviously. And she came up and I just kind of patted her. And I heard immediately in the next moment, it didn't come from a voice of harshness, but it was direct. Next time, get on your knees. I will tell you that personally and also from the people I'm interviewing, they hear our Lord frequently. It often is revealing a beam in the eye, but sometimes it's a voice of encouragement that comes through another and they recognize it. It's just something they sense. It's like God is using that sixth sense that we've got, that we hear about, to somehow interpret the mysterious around us. And where is all this directed? Well, we join Our Lady at the foot of the, of the cross, where the blessed sacrament is. And we look to her as the example who said yes. Of the seven petitions in the Our Father, our Lady points us to the most critical one. Thy will be done. This is why listening is so important, my friends, because we need to stay on the narrow path. And how are we gonna know if we're on the narrow path? How do you know when confusion and chaos are breaking out around you? When you're dealing with an issue, when people are angry with you, when you're just trying to do the right thing, and you have a cloud swirling around you. Maybe the voice of God simply is helping you to resist the temptation to quit, to leave. I had that experience very, very, very recently. It lasted nine months. Without going into detail, I can tell you within one day our Lord showed me what happened and why he wanted to bring me through that lesson. Now, I'm still unpacking the lessons, but he prunes every son and daughter out of his love. And this is of great value to those whose care has been entrusted to us.
And that's why St. Peter Julian Imard says again, Eucharistic adoration is the greatest act of holiness on earth. Now, that's one of those definitions that might freak us out occasionally. Holiness. I can't possibly. Yes, we can possibly. Holiness is a separation from the ways of the world. It's a separation from the ways of the world. Now, that's much more attainable. That's something that we can get behind. It is the measurement of our love of God. And it acts in a certain judgment against the culture today, both sometimes in and outside of our church, that's given to activism and even too much emotionalism. Again, a posture and a disposition rooted in humility. So some practical ideas here. Start simple. If you're not able to go to adoration, I've talked to people that they don't have it in their parish, maybe once a month, maybe they're not able to get certain places. Well, when you're at mass, take an extra five minutes to just be quiet with the Lord. You know, this is a practice that our family with three teenagers began uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And it was harder for them than it was for us. My wife sometimes doesn't like to be social when we leave the church, although we're always the last ones to leave. So for her, this was an easing out. I don't have to talk to anyone. So she started to talk to our Lord. The kids were restless as wild raccoons. And I was just trying to keep this whole thing together, engage where things were. But pretty soon we started to kind of get into the groove of it. For my part, there was a Mass one Sunday that I really was seeking the Lord's presence. I didn't feel it, and that's okay. I understand. But I really wanted that consolation, truth be told. I'd had a really hard week. I really wanted to feel his presence. So while I'm making my five-minute visit afterwards, I just share with the Lord. I know that you know that I'm here. You know what I want. You're not giving it to me, and that's okay. I'm grateful to be here, and I truly was. It was about that time, all of a sudden in my mind's eye, I actually saw the Lord step out of the tabernacle. I saw him look around, little pockets of people still in the church. For this is a church that actually is quiet after Mass, so people can stick around and pray. It was a childlike disposition that I saw in him. He communicated so much to me just by his countenance. And it said something like this. How I wish they would just linger and remain with me for a while longer. I was in tears. I went from aridity to tears in a matter of moments. His eyes communicated that to me. Yes, everyone had received him most. So we've got a bunch of mini tabernacles now dispersing the church. But our Lord wanted our presence. Think about that. Why would he say, I will be with you until the end of the ages, if he didn't have any, every intent on us actually accessing that? It was a powerful moment, and it galvanized me and our family to make the most of those five minutes. If you can't go to adoration out of illness or because it's not available, you can go in your heart, point your heart to the tabernacle, the closest one. When things got locked up during the Rona, I went online, I actually found the Vilnius Chapel where the Vilnius Divine Mercy image hangs. It was hard. I remember crying after Sunday Mass online. I don't think our children had ever seen me sob like that before. Would I have sobbed like that 15 years prior? I don't think so. I had come to know his heart, and while it might just have been a little, it was so much for me.
His Eucharistic presence created in me a Eucharistic hunger that only going to him satiates. There was a bank in Florida where Mary appeared, so I've heard. I was on retreat with a friend of mine and we stopped by, we had a little extra time, and I said, I think that's the bank in Tampa where Our Lady appeared, I think it was in the early 90s. So we pulled in, and you could tell that this was a worn out parking lot that had received thousands of people over the years, and it was still a grotto, and you could still make out a bit of Our Lady. And while this was interesting to look at, and certainly a show of faith for those that would make the pilgrimage, I couldn't help but thinking that in altars all over the world this morning, our Lord appeared, and it didn't make the news. I had a little fun with one of our teenagers recently. It was in the morning. I like to talk in the morning because it annoys them. And I said, John, I said, I just saw on the news, they're reporting that Jesus appeared at 85th and Mornal this morning. And I said, there's words coming in that it even happened even a little more north. He goes, you gotta be kidding me. I said, no, I'm not. Christ the King, St. Thomas More, visitation. And then he started to catch on and go, ah, I got it. He got the point. As I conclude, one thing I want to share with you is that from my time in filming many people who are adorers, and again, from my own experience, that adoration is not just time before Jesus in the tabernacle or the monstrance. It truly is a way of life. It's a narrow path of purpose and meaning that leads to the eternal glories reserved for those in this life that demonstrated that they wanted heaven. If you want to go to heaven, our Lord is asked to be adored. He wants to be adored. Then adore. Holy souls go to heaven. Holiness, again, is separation from the ways of the world. And it begins with an enunciation of our own will, which is an act of humility. And our Lord rewards it with all the graces that we need that day. He takes care of us. And quite honestly, it is the most perfect example of how we as a church need to start taking care of each other. You know, one of the beautiful things about adoration is that we can't talk about politics. We can't talk. People don't talk. It's one of the reasons I'm trying to do films, and we've got other groups around the country that are putting on conferences, even in our own city, to get the word out that this is happening. You should try this. This is going to change your life. He's going to change your life. And all you got to do is rest. You don't even have to spend any money. You're not going to get taxed. It's a great thing. I've even known people to bring coffee in to adoration. It's really, really beautiful. I believe our Lord is going to show us every moment on this earth that we had a desire to spend with him. And he's going to multiply it against the many occasions that we didn't know because he's so full of goodness. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Our Lady was and always is where our Lord is. She is the first adorer. She can teach us how to adore her son. And in so doing, love those in our lives properly.
with the love that he would have us love them with. But Our Lady's heart clearly is one of sorrows, for she knows those that are rejecting her son. And so at this hour that we are here in the church, at this moment in history, we have an opportunity to join in on this most greatest of mission that St. Peter Julian Imard reminds us of, the mission of the salvation of souls. And while we can't save souls, our yes to follow Our Lady and adore her Son is a most pleasing means to our Lord. Will you join him? Will you make a greater commitment to go before him? Will you teach this to your children and grandchildren? Will you invite them? Will you be a voice of reason and truth and clarity in an ocean of disintegration, in an ocean of immorality, in an ocean of pain and sorrow and hurt? Jesus said to St. Faustina, I have the final say in all human affairs. He is looking for our trust. There is no concrete way more in a show of faith than we go before him. There's no great, great, greater manner, I believe, to trust our Lord than to go before him who is disguised under the appearance of bread and to let down, to surrender, and to remain and linger with him and allow him to order our hearts aright. Because after all, it is his world, it is his church, it is his will, and it is his way. And that face of love is written in every human heart but there's so many that just don't know it. So if you've been reached by the Lord, the next step is easy. Side and dry all your sorrow for tears. 
into her eyes. 